0: How you doing, Finn? Oh, Finn? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. How, how are you doing? Oh,
1: what was that? Did, was that just a stutter, or were no, you no, just can, like come that out? It's not no, in there. No, no. no, no but no. like, was that you being like, I'm so overwhelmed? No, no. It
0: was just by by how no, okay, was just my mouth breaking down. Man.
1: Is that is that how you would describe your speech impediment yeah. as like total mouth disassembly, <laughs> or like oral ex, ex, uh oral uh explosion? Explosion!
0: Explosure?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm a wordsmith, <laughs> which means I create words down in my a word kiln and smash letters yeah, that's, that's against what, my weird. word anvil, right? And to make new
0: words like explosion.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Ex- explosive explosion. It's it's obvious. It's,
0: okay, so, wait, so it's it's a portmanteau of explosive and explosion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah
0: that's so a to of itself
1: no exposure
0: I'll give okay, you said exposure
1: uh yeah no you're right it was my mistake to try and uh start this film podcast that that's also like a comedy podcast with some you know potentially deliberately frivolous nope like okay. We're not doing that I, oh whoa oh all it's right a
0: serious business how serious uh I mean, like, like 2001 serious, not not, 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 like, not, like Barry Lyndon serious, where everything's sort of a joke.
1: We'll get to 2001 when we get to 2001, but there must be jokes in 2001. I think
0: there are things that Hell says that are funny in 2001.
1: Like when he's like, I'm going to suck you all off. <laughs> Hello, Dave. Do you like getting sucked off?
0: Yeah, when he says that. When they get to that classic line in 2001: A Space Odyssey,
1: yeah, Hal Nine Thousand,
0: when the monkey like uh, just like beats that like animal to death with a bone, it's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, and then he turns to the camera and says, "Talk about getting a boner, boner," and then he throws it into the air. Yeah, and, but he and, fucks
0: the dead animal.
1: <laughs> and, and as the bone flies into the air, Kubrick does just this incredible match cut to D- a dildo, a dildo, dildo flying, flying into, into Stephen Joyce's face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, If you're one of our international listeners, uh, Stephen Joyce uh, was a formerly high-ranking member of uh, the National Party who are, at best, our Conservative Party and, at worst, our Republican Party. Um, And to be clear, I do not like either of those things. Stephen Joyce, most famous for coming very close to being elected Deputy Prime Minister of this country, Mm -hmm. even though he's been a list MP his whole life, um, based off his financial mouse, his business connections. so he uh without anyone ever casting a vote for him because he is i would describe him as an angry thumb <laughs> uh, uh, uh uh almost successfully bought his way into um uh, uh the second most powerful person in the country after yep. of course uh these days both tessa thompson and rita aura i believe <laughs> from from social media, because if you control the king, you control everything.
0: Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 60 on the Sight and Sound list, Barry Lyndon. Stanley Kubrick's darkly comic period epic about a commoner rising through the ranks of European high society. Our second film this week was The Great Gatsby, Baz Luhrmann's glitzy, anachronistic and purposefully artificial adaptation of the classic Gilded Age novel.
1: So Finn, tell me, Yes, uh, this is a film podcast, obviously it's Shite and Sound. It I'm is. Yutha Shite. And I'm Finn Sound, Nicholas. Uh, and we discuss all the big questions in film. Yeah. What is film? Why are those pictures moving? I'm hearing sounds, but no one around me is talking. What is the source of those? James Cameron, hot or not? And I think we've hit it's big and we've been going, this is our 46th episode and so i think it's a pretty big deal we should celebrate that uh by Mm. getting to i think the number one question in all of film there's never really been a right answer but i think
0: there is so finn tell me in film who's your favorite square man square as in like has four sides of equal length or square as in uncool it's open to interpretation that's why this question has been so
1: debated by the chattering classes mm. since that train first broke through that cinema screen, killing that theater full of people.
0: Okay, if I had to pick my favorite character who is a squares and yeah. a four sides, I'd go with a SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, yeah. Where Did, does he live? Uh, he, he lives in a, a pineapple. But
1: where specifically is that pineapple? Under the sea. Remind me of his name. SpongeBob SquarePants.
0: Oh. Um but um, but if I had to say my favorite like uncool character in yeah. the movie uh i will probably go with C.C. Uh, i'll probably go with C. C. Baxter from the apartment uh, J- jack Lemon's character oh, my favorite, a deeply uncool man
1: my favorite uncool character is um the, volca- the living volcano from the Pixar short lava mm-hmm. but my my favorite square man in cinema and and like we we've discussed a lot and uh, I don't want to go back over this ground, but like in in the modern sense of cinema is kind of intractable at this point because of uh, capitalism and, and American hegemony over Western culture. You can't take it apart from superheroes. Yep. So you kind of need a square man who invented superheroes. So it is obvious to me that the best square man is Stanley Cube Rick that that was quite funny right yeah. yeah it was quite funny and i think quite funny it uh and stanley kubrick combine to uh oh no i was gonna say that the only example of that is barry linden but like they're good jokes in the shining mm-hmm. lolita is like the laugh a minute i mean it's horror it's like <laughs> it's horrifying yeah. but like Peter Sellers is your third lead, you know, in that film. So mm. it's
0: hard not to. J- J- James Mason is one of our great comedy stars.
1: Well, there is the experience, because I rewatched that film recently, mm. uh, and, and so much of the experience of watching that film is being like, or, or any uh, Mames Jason film is being like, oh, yeah, no, James Mason does actually speak like every impression of yeah. James Mason that exists um, uh, to the point of it being quite... uh. Disturbing
0: um, I'm actually going to watch uh, uh, I'm going to watch a James Mason film when I get home tonight.
1: Ah, are you going to
0: mai Jason though? Mm,
1: no um mm. uh, uh, I was going to say but like there's the but the obvious connection is of course, Barry Linden mm. and, and I think we should break new ground on Cheyton Sound, and I thought, what if we watched um, a film right Barry linden okay, I'm liking
0: this so far.: And,
1: and then we watched another film. That that was like it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but 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 different, you know, because Barry Lyndon at the time was not well received. Uh, now it is; it's on the the BFI top one hundred list, yeah. but it, it's only grown in esteem over time. And what if we called that a sound film? And right. uh, you know how the BFI's magazine is called Sight and Sound? Yeah. What if, like our podcast, Shite and Sound, we chose a Shite film? To go with it, a low culture film, one that has always been kind of critically contentious.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I propose that we watch Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby 2013 starring um, Spider-Man. T-Tone Maguire, yeah. Yeah, and Jack from the Titanic.
0: Yeah, and one of the widows.
1: Yeah, and uh, one of the promising young women. Yeah. um, And, and, and Isla Fisher from, she's been in so much. It's so unfair was for she, me not to was know. Was she in, like,
0: Talladega Nights? Siri, was Isla Fisher in Talladega Nights? She was in Wedding Crashes*. Oh, Hot Rod. Oh, Hot Rod. She's written Rod. two uh, young adult
1: books. Oh, yeah. uh, and she her debut was in Scooby-Doo. Oh, and you know who wrote yeah. that film?
0: James Gunn. Yeah. Your, your, your favourite your favorite writer and, and director.
1: I don't dislike him. Yeah, I, I just think people should calm down. Is that a crime? Nah. If I were to kill James Gunn, would that be a crime?
0: Uh, 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 you mean like legally or morally? Both, I think. Uh, yes and maybe. No, yes
1: and yes. <laughs> like, okay, we live in a world saturated with violence and, and the, the one key moral lodestone of existence being that kind of everyone should, is allowed to live and no one should be allowed to stop other people living, right? I don't think James Gunn falls into that rubric.
0: You no, know? I think he's a real grey area. <laughs> I, think he's do- I think he's done a lot of
1: bad. I mean, with James Gunn, it's not a grey area. It's, it's a gunmetal
0: area. Yeah. Like, uh, sometimes he's sort of like uh, mildly cringe on Twitter. Oh, can't have that. What a bad guy. Sometimes his music tastes don't exactly line up with mine. I have terrible
1: news about the glass house you're in. (laughs) I have just horrific news. So yeah, this was, I think, my first time seeing Barry Lyndon, or at least that I can remember.
0: Yeah, this this is definitely my first time seeing Barry Lyndon.
1: I'm not like I feel like I recognized enough of it to be like either I have. So if I did, it was long when I was doing all of Kubrick.
0: Right. You yeah. know? Yeah, and I, I've been trying to fill in the gaps in my Kubrick knowledge in the days leading up to this. I watched all of his 1950s uh, short films. I watched The Day of the Fight, which, is, uh, which shows promise but is very boring. Yep. I watched uh, The Flying Padre, which is uh, bad. It's, I think it's,
1: it's silly in a, in a oh, charming I mean, way.
0: Oh, uh, look, it's about a free-spot plane. That's, yep. that, I mean, that's about it.
1: Yeah, that sounds like an idea that could only
0: last Ten to fifteen minutes well luckily it's only eight minutes <laughs> yeah no no yeah. so it's tight yeah uh and then I watched the seafarers which is uh which is a twenty eight minute long uh, ad for a uh, uh, for the seafarers International Union, which is actually uh, my favorite of his shorts, even though it is the most work for hire thing I've ever seen from like a from a great director. it made me really want to join this union. it did a really good job at advertising the union of seafarers
1: oh okay
0: uh the not Spare and desire which is uh again like sort of shows promise but has a terrible script and bad acting yeah uh and then i watched uh, killer's kiss yeah which shows more promise
1: i i think to me i like killer's kiss and he made that after the killing right no no he, the, he made the, killer's the, kiss then the killing
0: yeah yeah no the the like everything from the killing on is like good yeah i mean there, there's like debate about spartacus well, Spartacus
1: isn't like yeah, yeah. Ugh, like O two three doesn't exist. Um, but also like Stanley Kubrick was such a dominant personality that the film, an inherently collaborative art form, became much less collaborative when he was yes uh, involved. Like the many stories of how he went and he'll just do takes over and over and over again to just sometimes just seems just to be really mean to people yep. or, uh, to really wear them down. And, but it is, yeah. Barry Lyndon is a film that is quite hard to get a bead on in some ways, because it does seem like the cultural idea of it is not yet settled and that there's still the sense of it being B or C tier. It's not mm-hmm. like when you think of Stan Lee, Hugh, Rick, you think, Two thousand one, Clockwork Orange, Shining, Phil yeah. Metal Jacket, um with maybe eyes wide yeah. shut.
0: Um, oh, and, and like and like Doctor Strange Love. Oh right, of course. Doctor yeah, but, but, but yeah, the 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 thing with, with Barry Lyndon is like it is there's always a the thing with two thousand one where people talk about you know how boring two thousand and one is. Which
1: is uh, yeah, false.
0: I mean like it's it is proven it's like it's a very slow movie and it is made up of like, images and ideas rather than plot. A lot of people think about it's the same as boring. and the like period epic is another type of movie where people just think, "Oh, that's going to be boring." Yeah, and because this movie is over three hours long, yeah composed
1: almost entirely of scenes that are done in one or two shots. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, it, it definitely like has had this reputation of being his like boring epic.
1: And and and, uh, there, and of course there have been uh, voices throughout its history since it came out in 75. Saying uh, it's good, yeah. Um, but those have always rung to me a bit as people taking the, a deliberately contrarian viewpoint. You know, uh, it is Alfonso Cuarón fans saying that *Great Expectations* is his best film. We are yeah, when like
0: whenever everyone knows it's *The Prisoner of Azkaban*.
1: I mean, like those are the two I wouldn't <laughs> argue. F- like, yeah, yeah, I think all of his films are good. Uh, I've not seen his films pre *Itumamutumbia*, but. Yeah. Uh, I presume they're also good, or at least Joe Promise. Um, but it does seem a bit like people deliberately taking the con- – it's, it's me calling Speed Racer the Wachowskis best film, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a deliberately controversial move. But then – but they also they hit how light it is and how fun it is as a film. And like the thing that struck me watching it this time, I had to, to go to the bathroom during the film, not to overshare. So I went in there and uh, opened up my body and gashed forth the 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 horrible okay, yeah next <laughs> the, next sentence the horrible cookings <laughs> that that my tummy had wrought from my my nutrition.
0: Yeah, okay, next next sentence.
1: Um and, and I paused the film and it was and I saw it was 40 minutes in and it felt like we were about 10 minutes in. And it it's not that this film isn't doesn't feel long, but oh, it goes by. Yeah, just yeah. I was just so happy to spend time with it. I was never I never wanted a scene to end sooner. Mm. I never wanted I never felt like you were dwelling too long in something.
0: Yeah, it is one of those very rare films that managed to be incredibly well paced telling a very good story with fantastic acting. And it looks like the best thing you've ever seen in your life.
1: Yeah. um, And I think part of the thing that makes all of that the most interesting is that the plot um, is that there are a lot of events in the plot, but most films when they are of this length and this scale are about multiple people's art. Yeah. Uh, You know, um, you know, Altman's longer films are short story collections and, and and that's no crime uh, unless you're a tree. Um, and even Yee Yee and Bray Summer Day have protagonists, but follow full art through other people. Yeah. Whereas like Barry Lyndon is about Barry. Uh, it's about what he's doing. It's, it's in two parts. Um, one is called, by what means Redmond Barry acquired the style and title of Barry Lyndon in part two, containing an account of the misfortunes and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon. Basically, he's, he's a genteel Irish guy. He joins the army through a series of faintly comical mishaps. He, he becomes a lord, and then that's all taken away from him. Yeah. Which is a story... You- o- o- over the course of probably like 20 years or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it it just, and so it is. It's spending so much time in one very linear story. Mm. Like every scene is a response or subversion of the previous thing we've seen Barry do. Or Barry is like, I want to do this, and then we see something that's going to work against that. Yeah, we never. We're very rarely cutting away from the core from 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 the a plot. And, like, there are there are some B-plots in it, but they are about meeting people and learning about them as opposed to uh, people really changing. Yeah. To the point where, like, Barry is the only person who does change in, in the film. And, like, so much of the conflict in his life is that he has aged and grown and then meets people who he thinks will be different and they aren't.
0: Yeah, and, like, when, when characters are, sort of, like no longer useful to the plot they just sort of fall away yeah they just disappear
1: um and like, like
0: that, there'll be people you spend like half an hour or 40 minutes with in this movie who will just they'll be there in one scene not there in the next never seen again
1: well the second and third builds people marissa berenson is lady Lyndon, mm. the woman whom he marries is almost entirely in the second half in part two yeah and, and the third bill patrick mcgee is the chevalier du balibari balibari yeah um is almost in t- is like is in one shot unspeaking of the second half yeah
0: he, he's in the last like 45 minutes he's in like every scene of the last 45 minutes of the first half yeah yeah and then, and then- as, as, soon, as soon as Barry like get, gets his title then the, the, this this character just falls away
1: But then again, also the crediting order on this film is a fun, interesting question because obviously Ryan O'Neill, Kubrick could only get this film made if he had one of the top 10 most bankable stars in it. Mm. Um, And and so it was, you know, Ryan O'Neill, Christopher Walken or Robert Redford. Right. uh, And they went with Ryan O'Neill.
0: Yeah, and and this performance has been like one of, I think, the major stumbling blocks for people enjoying this movie for a long time. A lot of times I've heard people talk about Barry Lyndon. Like oh yeah it's good but fucking Ryan O'Neal is terrible in it because I think mean, he he had he had sort of a, a like reputation as like a pretty boy who isn't really a particularly good actor yeah like he like and his, his stuff with like Bogdanovich is like fairly light and but and, like, like his and,
1: biggest hit to this point was Love Story yeah which
0: is a very very light film right? yeah yeah that 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 that's like that's like a that's like a nothing film I
1: I don't know I've not. What, yeah yeah, yeah. Would from, I, from
0: from uh yeah I, i've not seen it, but from what i know about love story it, se- it seems like the the like lightest and airiest of of like hollywood romance movies
1: yeah which is maybe a little unfair but maybe not very unfair if you know what i mean
0: yeah he has this reputation as like people want to go watch ryan O'Neal because he's a fucking real hot dude but yeah he, he's he's not he's not a good actor and he's not like right for this sort of role, really?
1: Yeah, that's really the impression. That's what the critical and public response yeah. was. But I just don't see that. Yeah, I think he does a great job, and it, like it helps that I don't really have that much of an idea of um, Ryan O'Neill.
0: Yeah, uh, I think like at, like at, at the very beginning of the film when he's supposed to be like eighteen years old. Yeah, I think it 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 does it feels kind of weird then because he's clearly like thirty five yeah but but but, but like but it's a, it's a, it's movie. a film yeah. yeah 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 and you 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 fucking you fucking get over it and then he spends most of the film like the like you know the sort of correct age or they've aged him up to look older
1: and, and yeah and they've aged him up pretty well pretty yeah good old, old aging uh in in this here film he's obviously top build marissa berenson and mcgee are second and third build and then everyone else is is listed as a collective even though like uh, Anthony Sharp as Lord Hallam, to me is clearly the second lead of this film. Lord Hallam is his adopted son, um, no stepson through through
0: marriage. Oh, uh, 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 Lord Lord uh, Lord Lord Bullingdon.
1: Lord Bullingdon.
0: Yeah, he's like way down. Oh yeah, Leon Vitelli. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just clicked on the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah no, it's is Leon Vitelli as Lord Bullingdon who is. Yeah, to me, clearly the second lead, the person who the most comes to have an arc, and and again, even though he is only in the second half.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but but like the, the the like last hour of the film is sort of all about his relationship with with, with Barry. Well, and yeah, and, and the, how that changes both of them.
1: And Stephen Burkhoff as Lord Ludd as well is mm-hmm. kind of the driving force of a lot of the first half. Murray Melvin as as Reverend Durant. And yeah, they're all just, anyway, uh, uh, it it was a fuck time to be an agent negotiating. But it is like the the key bit of trivia in this film is that, yeah, Berenson, the second build, playing his wife for the second half, has 14 total lines of dialogue, which seems like a lot in retrospect. And part of that is, is that there is a comment being made on the position of women in the world. Yeah. And so, a lot of her work is being silent and reacting in scenes. But it is also
0: like—I mean, it's also about like how Barry the character like sidelines her in in their marriage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But most of her marriage she is like relegated to sitting in a, in a corner and signing checks for him.
1: There's his his mum is is a factor. Yeah, um, and appears in a couple of scenes, and then there's his cousin. Um, and how we meet Barry at, 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 no like the very. This film is just so long and winding mm. that starting any kind of scene-by-scene scene breakdown of it is a promise to ourselves to go to, like, five hours. Yeah. Um, but I think it is worth noting that, like, one of the... my fav- I think this film has an incredible opening. It's narrated throughout by Michael Horndern, mm. um, who has a...
0: Uh, he's got a real good voice. Oh, yeah. He's,
1: he's If he did not make a mint out of books on tape, he is... He is. He's a. He was just an absolute fool. Oh yeah. He was. He was an RSC guy. Yeah. He was mainly a theatre actor. That oh, that yeah. makes sense. But it starts um, with this description of, of Barry Lyndon's background of, uh, and, and specifically of his father, uh, and, and which ends with the revelation that his father was shot in a duel. And this is all. And we we see throughout that narration. This beautiful, identical, idyllic landscape painting shot of these two men dueling that ends with the sudden, abrupt, and comic slapstick death of Barry Lyndon's father. Yeah, so it it manages to kind of, in one moment, capture the 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 temporal scale the film is working on, the the aesthetic it's going for, and like the sense of wicked judgmental humor. Yeah. And like all three of those things are somewhat unique to this. I I mean, obviously 2001 has a much wider temporal scale, but the, the scenes within that take place over a, you know, the, the, the eras within that take place over a shorter amount of time. There are time jumps between acts in Full Metal Jacket and, you know, we don't really technically know how long The Shining is because of that bizarre twist at the end about how he's been here the whole time. Um, no, it's like north. Jack Nicholson just wakes up in a mall and realises he shouldn't have argued with his parents. and Really, he does love them. Tone and texture are the two things that Lyndon gets the most right. And, like, tone is that it is... It it kind of is exactly your idea of a costume drama or a costume epic uh, in that, you know, there's a lot of people around incredibly fancy tables and yeah, incredibly the, fancy the, wigs. The, the, not eating like incredibly lots of scenes fancy of,
0: meals. yeah, there, there are lots of scenes of like hundreds of soldiers marching into battle and getting shot and falling down one by one. But also the thing that I think makes this so different from most other period costume dramas is that, this film fucking hates rich people. Yeah. It, and and it, without, like,
1: without even faintly pretending.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, th- th- this is a film about how they are all, like, e- e- even, even more than something like The Earrings of Madame Dare, which is, like, kind, which is, like, which is about that, but I think there, there, there was a lot more sort of grey area in, in that, yeah. whereas this is just, like, from, from the first time you meet a person of status in this film... Yeah. It's about how they are braven and cowardly and just out of themselves and, and will duplicitous yes, and will fuck over everyone to get any minor thing they want.
1: Well, and and I that is why of all the pairings I have pitched to this this show that we've done, this is the one I am the proudest of because I kind of think Barry Lyndon and Great Gatsby are the same mm. uh, in that they're about rich people, but they are resolutely not on the side of good people. The story arc is about someone who comes from nothing, thinking the only value in their worth, the only value they can have as a person, is to rise through the ranks. And the process of doing that corrupts them to a point where they're no longer, where they've destroyed themselves. Mm. And also they do it by having this incredibly stylized manner they both like two very different ends of the spectrum, but yeah, they're like, both equally stylized. Yeah,
0: like Barry Lyndon does it by going all out and shooting everything incredibly naturally. Yeah. There, 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 is, there is no artificial light in a movie. That, that's not true. Okay, right, yeah, but the the, 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 like, the yeah, yeah. like legend of Barry Lyndon is there yeah. is no artificial light in a movie, and I think for the most part, this film is shot either in daylight or by candlelight.
1: But a long time... Uh, the myth has continued that they did not use any electric lights yeah. on the set of Barry Lyndon, um, which is just not true. There, there's there's documentary evidence that it's not true, but also there's like textual evidence that's right, not yeah. true. There, there, there are many times where the 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 white balance of the interior and exterior light in a single shot is, is different, which oh, okay. shows that you know some are tungsten balanced bulbs and some. You know why is the light coming through the windows blue? But yeah. that's not. But it it it, it that the artifice of the film is for it to look as much like you're just shooting real life as yes. possible, and and it absolutely lands. Yeah. And but it it uh, and that's to the end of looking like paintings, looking specifically like um, William Hogarth paintings, and, and so most scenes start on a close up. And then zoom out and out and out until that, until you reveal that all of the characters are in this incredibly non-naturalistic layout.
0: Yeah, especially in the second half of the film, every scene is a bunch of rich people in a weird tableau. Yeah, and then yeah, it'll zoom out. You'll see the whole you'll see the whole tableau, and then they'll start either, like arguing or try to kill each other. Oh
1: yeah, um, and and the achievement of getting it to look so beautiful because it, it's it's so beautiful. Yeah is is the like yeah it would be you could make this film in natural light but that wouldn't look as real like natural light is diffuse, so so much of like the technical achievement of this film is making it look like it was all shot with with um with real light and like the candlelight scenes were shot on the widest aperture lenses ever used on a film with triple wick candles like that's true yeah but it is it's equally like especially outside scenes, and like this beautiful sense of like scope, shadow, and shade, people standing in shadows, looking at people standing in light in front of these massive rolling hills covered in ominous mist are just stunning, but those are as much a feat of technical prowess and special effects as um the spaceships uh, in 2001 and that they're so invisible that you absolutely buy it. I only really started learning about this when I started looking into it. Mm. Like they're quite, they're matte paintings in this film. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh
0: Wow. Yeah. Right. Right. They were so well disguised. I didn't even get to have Finn's matte painting corner. <laughs> yeah. Um.
1: Uh, and, and there's a lot of like use of very specific and very weirdly shaded ND filters, which is, like kind of the original special effect, changing the amount of light, hitting a point of the lens. Right. So it is as artificial as, as Great Gatsby, the movie long music video, um, where there's barely a real cut in it and everything is floating or cutting or yeah, and, slow-mo. And, or... and
0: everything everything looks like it's on a green screen at all points.
1: And, yeah. yeah. Um, but they, I think, are working to the same end, yeah. which is to show that this ideal of what, proper life is like what fun life is like is this unachievable ecstasy yeah you know this this uh beauty beyond beauty and that one is choosing to do that by evoking the paintings of hogarth and one is choosing to do that by evoking jay-z music videos is are like they're doing the same thing and they also do uh, with that they they play the same game which is when that breaks the style stops. when 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 barry Lyndon gets into fights with people uh the camera goes handheld yeah. the colors are muted you it, know there's
0: a scene in the second half where he's got the shitty stepson uh, uh he's got the shitty stepson who's called lord uh, lord, lord bullingdon who yeah. is he sucks yeah he, he's he's been like raised from birth to believe like it, since he was like nine years old yeah he He's only been addressed as Lord Bullington even even by even by his mother and and so he's just been like raised to believe that he is of better stock than everyone else. He rightfully holds a place that other people do not deserve
1: even his parents, when he is like five, refer to him as Lord, yeah, like and not in
0: yeah, yes, yeah, and there is a scene where in front of a large group of people he insults Barry, and out of nowhere, Ryan O'Neill just like explodes into the shot and tackles him, and like there there is this like genuinely upsetting and like dangerous feeling fight going on well it feels we're,
1: like the film is breaking yeah, it yeah. feels like it feels like you know when really bad shit goes down on reality television and, and you know it's bad because they've only got one camera or they <laughs> or they can't really see it or it's yeah. the security camera footage or it, it they're not miked for it right, you're yeah, like yeah. on oh, no we're not suppo- <laughs> what is happening the artifice is broken the world is changed. yeah and like
0: that fight scene is just like and an incredible way to to like rupture the like artificiality and and like and like gentility of, of the of the rest of the film.
1: Yeah, and it and it plays it at several other times. He gets into a fight when he's in the army. Yeah and
0: he has, yeah he has to have like a boxing match with 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 another soldier who he yeah. insults.
1: Um uh in a in one of many that that's maybe the insulting him is maybe my favorite uh, joke in the film mm-hmm. which is like I wanna insult this guy. He asks his friend what should he say He's that was wife sleeping around, and he's like, "Oh well, uh, you call me bad for being Irish, but uh, your wife calls me good in bed, <laughs> <laughs> and she's got scabies, and I know this for I've counted the scabies <laughs> upon my lap." That is not at all what any is no. said, but it is. It's like that. Yeah, it is. It is.
0: Um, I think it's also my favorite boxing scene in a, in a Kubrick film. There's also one in Day of Day of a Fight, N1, and one in Killer's Kiss. Because the main characters are both those are both boxers.
2: Ah,
1: uh, I do think that. Ah, oh, no fighting in the war room.
0: Oh yeah, there's there's some shoving in that bit.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say that I've always thought. Well,
0: you know, what, in 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 diplomatic terms, there's a lot of boxing in that film.
1: I've always thought that that you know, I look at boxing and and I think that looks very easy to mm-hmm. me. It also looks like an absolutely sane sport to continue to promote, you know, uh, let's go watch some ritualized attempted murder yep. with the best outcome where victory is caused by hitting someone so hard, their brain shuts down. <laughs> and I've thought the re- the hack for that, if only they would think of this, if I was a boxer, I would just simply shove people. <laughs> I just shove them over and over. And actually, do you know, there's not a rule. And I've, I feel bad for saying this, but because yeah. uh, I'm doing a charity
0: boxing fight
1: later. There's no rule against using conventional weapons.
0: Oh, you've been reading up on the Marcus of Queensbury rules? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And so in inside one glove, I'll obviously have um, my Wolverine from X-Men claws ready to yeah. to bust through and scratch him up right and good. And in the other one, just, just a gun. Well, <laughs> so...
0: I think, I think you're safe with a gun, but I would I would call Wolverine Claws an unconventional weapon, quite frankly.
1: <laughs> no, I feel like there's a lot of Wolverine content out there. and and Sure,
0: but the entire appeal of Wolverine is his novelty.
1: Yeah, but that was true when we first met him.
0: But, but then now we're old friends.
1: Well, yeah, now we all know Wolverine, and I think it's difficult being a man in In the modern world, to 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 stand in the wreckage of um, a horrific history largely generated by ter- terrible, terrible men um of the past. And so it is quite hard to talk about issues that I think directly affect a lot of men
2: yep.
1: um because we are still so trained to keep things quiet and there might be something wrong or broken about us and so i i want to come out and say that i'm one of the many many men in the world who has three adamantium blades in their arm yeah i was put through the weapon x program really and i and that's a problem that affects literally tens of millions of men across the world Men of all races colors creed religion it affects all men equally There. There's a baby born in Mozambique with those arms and also the king of the Netherlands, you know? It keeps us all equal and I'm sick of not talking about it. And that's how I'm going to win a boxing match, yeah.
0: Um, of course, a secret I've kept for many years is uh, I constantly have to wear a ru- ruby quartz contact <laughs> yeah. to, to stop my eye beams from incinerating everyone around me. Okay. And you know what? I think it's finally time to be open. I'll, I'll take the, the contacts out.
1: <laughs> I'm just sick of it, Finn. I'm sick. I I am sick of you thinking that Cyclops and your own eye beams incinerate people. They're concussion beams. They're beams of force. They push people away. They smash things. They don't burn things. Mm-hmm. People no. have not... That, it's unambiguously been that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you were right about the ruby quartz, because or else I'd just have to. Yeah.
0: Well, I've listened to enough episodes of a Flophouse to know to know that he wears ruby quartz glasses.
1: Yeah. Um well you you upped it to contact what he must well, have had contact because, lenses well, that,
0: at that, some that, point that, that's also a joke i do on an episode of the flop now so oh, right, about yeah how there's, there's i think i think in the x-men Origins wolverine episode they talk about how he 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 must have some ruby quartz contacts uh contact lenses then
1: oh uh, yeah james master
0: yeah yeah like in in sonic yeah the way he also had to hold his eye beams It.
1: well yeah um, and, and it does add a little, I think my favorite thing. I'll,
0: I'll say adds a Frisson. Uh, a Luke Frisson. A Robert Frisson.
1: <laughs> um, I think my favorite thing in, in Sonic the Hedgehog is the flighty twitchy energy <laughs> that James Marsden keeping his percussive eye <laughs> beams in gives to his performance. Nah, my favourite thing about that is when Jim Carrey dances, dances to that song. With oh, Evil I thought Cruz. you were going to say
0: it's a same with Sonic Flosses.
1: Which one? He
0: does it twice. I'm sure he does.
1: He never dabs, though. That, I just want to yeah. see Sonic dab. It's a cruel world, isn't it? It's, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, for Sonic, yes. Yeah. Because he, he was kicked out of his home planet yeah. and then had to spend 20, 10 to 15 years... Just stare, just watching people.
0: Yeah. He'd it be voiced by Jaleel White. And what a curse.
1: So, this this film came four years after Cloakwick Orange. And Cloakwick Orange was only two years after 2001. And like Clockwork Orange was him deliberately making something very quickly afterwards yeah. because uh, 2001 was laborious, even for a Stanley Kubrick yeah. film.
0: And And then it's another five years after this until The Shining comes out. Yeah. And then like seven years until Full Metal Jacket and then 12 years, Eyes Wide Shut was 99.
1: But didn't he finish it in 97? Uh,
0: No, I'm I'm talking about like released. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It is interesting because it's not like this film took four years to make. Because two of those years he was prepping his great unfinished project. That's right, AI, artificial intelligence.
0: No, um, no. was this one he was going to do the, the, the Napoleon movie? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. part of, and um they. And so he's, first he first spent a year watching the Abel Gantz Napoleon. <laughs> yeah,
1: he definitely did, right?
0: Yeah. But then. I was, uh, was a joke about how long the Abel Gantz Napoleon film is. So it was five hours long and it was uh, the first part of a trilogy
1: <laughs> that
0: never got completed. I think it's safe to
1: call it a trilogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> But after, and yeah, he spent a year or two developing that. But um, because Waterloo had failed and, you know, war films were not doing great at yeah. that point, it was kind of kicked down the road. Then he found this book and, like, part of what attracted him to this book is he'd done all this research on this time period, yeah. the Seven Years' War. And so, like, kind of might as well. Mm. And so it is interesting in that post-Spartacus, almost all of Kubrick's films are passion projects, yeah. uh, things he wants to do there's that 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 story of how he chose the shining was that for a year he just had his assistant bring him um all the most popular books and he would sit in his office and read and she would periodically hear a thud every five minutes (laughs) as he threw it against the wall and then he found the shining right so it is like he would pick the project they would come from you know yeah deep within and this is one that he is kind of doing as a compromise. Like as I said, he only got it made because he got Ryan O'Neill, who was then one of the top ten. And like he's lucky. Well, he's lucky he had options because Robert Redford is also in that top ten and was also age appropriate to be in this. And they yeah. they both are of Irish stock, and yet you wouldn't know it. Like this film is as lovely and as precise and as singular yeah or like hot complete whole right like
0: it yeah this feels like he put as much time and love into this as he did into anything else he ever made yeah and man kubrick's really fucking good to make films <laughs> but and, and like he's a director i find it kind of hard to talk about a lot because there is was something sort of like so perfect about his films that i kind of have trouble articulating what like what i think is good about them
1: yeah i i like the film i have that the most problem with like 2001 like brian hates 2001 mm. and i just really because like and every issue with that film is is true like i absolutely understand how it could be boring but yeah. to me it is just so it just self evidently isn't yeah it's just like no but but look at it yeah you know
0: like it like yeah it, it, as, as far as i'm concerned 2001 is like maybe the most technically perfect film i've ever seen oh. like e- every single shot of it is exquisite well and, and everything it's doing is like fascinating to like on like a story of medical level but also tr- tr- trying like figure out how they did it
1: well yeah and like the the very fact that we are in an age of oh fuck this is such a pretentious film shit opinion do it, do it, but it is it. like the fact that we are we are we are 30 years deep into Computer-generated imagery mm. attempting to show us space
0: yeah and yet- and no nope no one's done it as well as 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 Kubrick did
1: well and and like part of that is like I saw it at the right time I I I have seen I, I saw a 70 mil print in in, uh, in the embassy theater when I was yeah. like 10 11 or 12 and, and I just I remember uh uh the shot where the buggy is turning around to attack Dave. What, when he's outside fixing oh, the plate, yeah, yeah. and I can remember my brain being like, "Well, they had to go into space <laughs> to shoot that, yeah. right? Like that's,
0: yeah, like that's, that, that's why people bought the Kubrick fixed for moon landing."
1: Yeah, I and mean, when it wasn't Kubrick, it, it was, was me. Oh, okay. How'd you do it?
0: Uh, in about twenty-five years, I'm going to invent a time machine. Yeah, I'm going to go back in time. Yeah, and I'm going to bring you thought into the future yeah. when we when we do have the capacity to go to the moon yeah. and then we're going to do it and then we will take them back. So it's like, it's sort of not fake, but like...
1: And, just, and are, are you using the original footage as a reference as to how to fake it? Yes. So you're, so who
0: created that footage? Exactly. Right? Crazy.
1: No, 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 no. You're the, you're the...
0: No, you, no, you know, no, no, it's no. Just you, the, you, it's just one of the great <laughs> mysteries of life.
1: I'm not going to allow you to come on here and make such a revelation and not back it up. How, how did you deal with the light diffusion? Because there's no, uh, in, in the footage we have from the moon, the shadows are so parallel and that could only be created by the sun. Did yeah. you just create a
0: sun? Well, I went, went to the moon to shoot it.
1: Oh, so you did? So it's not faked, it's just from the future. Well, so. And is it Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you didn't
0: so fake I, it. So I, I went, as I, as I said. <laughs> In the future, I'm going to go back in time and get Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and bring them further into the future where we have the technology to actually go into space, which we didn't have back then. We're going to shoot it on the moon, and then take them back and make everyone think that they went to space in which they didn't because they couldn't, but they will in the future. Huh. It's, and- it's simple, really.
1: Yes. Simple is the descriptor I would use. Yeah.
0: Blood simple.
1: Ooh, good film. Yeah. Oh, no, the Cohen brothers, they fake the moon landing. <laughs> yeah,
0: they. It's they... why
1: Francis McDormand doesn't show up for the first 30 minutes. Yeah. My favorite Kubrick, and the one I am, the Kubrick I would have at this position, but I want to be clear to slightly jump maybe 10 minutes ahead. Yeah. Barry Lyndon, sound as shit. Yeah. If you've not seen Barry Lyndon, watch fucking Barry Lyndon. It's great. It flies by, it's good fun, it looks beautiful, all the acting is great. The story is interesting, complicated, but also really easy to follow,
0: yeah it does everything you want from a historical epic in like a really in like a really smart and good way
1: it does everything you want from a historical epic while also being aware that historical epic it,
0: it, yeah it always remains character focused it never falls into just like empty spectacle for the yeah. sake of spectacle, but yeah
1: well, and like obviously its aesthetics have influenced a lot of costume drama going forward, yeah, but it is just interesting that like the holistic whole the juxtaposition of of that against such a a morally ambiguous story where you are like distinctly not like this is a story you observe you're never really and like you follow and understand and are interested in barry but you're never supposed to be on his side yeah and that combined with the aesthetic is really interesting and i think the only I'm not deep into costume drama. I really worry that I'm about to say, like, costume drama, people are going to be like, oh, no, there's this whole sub-genre. Check it out, you know? Is that I think the thing closest to it in a lot of ways, while still being really different, is The Favourite, which is another film I really rate. And, and like, The Favourite makes a bunch of very different but equally artificial um aesthetic decisions
0: and the favorite is also at the top of my letterbox list of films you should watch instead of Cruella.
1: oh yeah check it out follow finn on letterboxd uh and follow me yeah
0: uh, on letterboxd and we should start one
1: for the show yeah i think but the film i would replace it with is a clockwork orange which is while i think 2001 is undeniable Mm. if uh, like it is like it kind of has to be the kubrick film that's the highest up the list look at it, is that what I love about A Clockwork Orange is that A Clockwork Orange is, yeah, after nearly killing himself and Doug Trumbull and everyone else working on on 2001, he was like, okay, the next thing I have to do has to be as simple as fucking possible. I'll just find a book. I'll just adapt it. Um, Small cast, few locations. Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. um, Three... killing Captain Kirk with a bridge, of course. But also very deliberately, like the camera setup and lighting pack he chose uh, were basically the same or adjacent to as what film students have. So he oh, okay. had, you know, 10 lights or so, one 35mm camera as opposed to a 16mm camera, but like three or four lenses most and mostly used one really wide one. Right. And he just like he made that film like a tiny film, but like he was still Stanley Kubrick. So they still shot it over half a year yeah. and Barry Lyndon, they shot in eight months, which seems short. Um, and but, but this is, this is well into his time of shooting 50 to 60 to 80 takes in, in that way that is boiled down. But which I think most of the time is about like, you know, we're only going to be here for one day, but the film will be around forever. So we might as well at least get it right. Yeah. Uh,
0: and yeah. And, and in this book, because like so much of it is outside in natural light. if like the clouds move a bit or the yeah. sun moves a bit. You know, I've like, never no, got to fucking take it again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh yeah, no, there must've been so much
0: fucking waiting on this film. Yeah. And especially- it, 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 in, in every single shot where it's outside, I'm like, but what if it was raining that day? Um, oh, God. Well, you, you do indoor
1: cover. Yeah. Um, but also, like, and so many of those outdoor shots have these immaculate zooms in them where yes. everything stays perfectly in focus. And when you're doing that at such wide open apertures, even outside, um, you have to be, like, the best focus puller in the world would get, like, there will be so much footage of this film which is almost precisely identical to the film but just a little off yeah and, and um and like yeah he was still Kubrick shooting Cloak of but he was doing it with with lesser resources on a lot of fronts and what I love about in, it
0: in, in in sort of the same way a bit but like but like Alfred Hitchcock did did Psycho with, with his like TV crew. Yeah. J- just was like, yeah, it'll, it'll fill some time.
1: Or like for the modern version, Guillermo del Toro doing Shape of Water with his TV. Crew. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the team of the people who worked on on The Strange. Yes. Or like the bad version is Michael Bay making Pain and Gain between Transformers <laughs> films, merely making a $50 million film rather than a $200 million film, you know? And like, there are many examples of it. Yeah. Uh, And what I like about A Clockwork Orange*, apart from the fact that uh, its satire is still fresh and it is still horrific and shocking even now. um, And and even now that every horrific and shocking moment of it is a meme, it's still horrific and shocking.
0: Yeah, like that is like my mum saw once, almost 50 years ago, and still if you mention it, she'll just like shiver. That's (laughs)
1: That's <laughs> that's one of those films that feels kind of haunted to me. Yeah, like it feels like there's actually something wrong in it. Um, and in a way that like The Shining is also great. Yeah, but the images in it that are memes are no longer. You know, yeah, like it is. It's it's a film that you can't see for the first time again. In a way.
0: And yeah, like yeah, I've seen The Shining like like one and a half times now, and like it is. Incredible and immaculate, but yeah, I I don't I don't particularly find it scary at any point. Are you
1: counting the half time as um, Ready Player One or Doctor <laughs> Sleep? Uh, I I've, I've still not seen Doctor Sleep.
0: No, Good. Yeah, no, I've uh, no. I, I like I, my I...
1: Mister's Robot and my Doctor's Sleep.
0: Yeah. No, I, I I I saw like the, the like last half of of The Shining on on Sky Movies once when I was like fourteen, and I thought it was terrible because shelly Duvall was overacting. I mean, I saw the whole movie again when I was like twenty. I was like, oh no, I'm actually. I was wrong about that. Oh, this movie's yeah. incredible.
1: Fuck, Shirley Duvall in that film is fucked.
0: Yeah, like... Jesus. Uh,
1: it, she's so... Oh, she's so good. I don't think it took 100 takes to get a performance that good, Stan. Yeah. I, I, and, and that's what I... And I think as much sound, sound Barry Lyndon, yes. also this is a guy showing off. There, is, there's a sense of I said to you during it. It is almost unfair to every other film yeah. to make a film this good looking.
0: Yeah, and, it, it it it's like how I feel about all other musicals while watching Stinging in the Rain. I'm just like, no, like leave something for the others. Yeah, um, and but
1: also there's like I think like perfectionism is is a, is an interesting thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and slowly drove Kubrick insane and killed him in a lot of ways. Um, and I just don't like, it's not that this film is airless. Like part of his, Kubrick's perfectionism is that he knows how to make things always seem organic. Yeah. He's not, that's, that is the, as much as Fincher wants to be Kubrick, like, Finch's problem is that he gets things so perfect that they feel artificial. Yeah. So yeah, out of shine and sound, what do you think? It's,
0: it's, it's down, it's down
1: as hell. Yeah. It's so, and, and it is just like the fact that it's not one of my top three Kubrick's is, you know, this is only a film. I think is five star excellent as opposed to one of the three most masterpieces.
0: Yeah. But yeah, um, and it, we'll 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 get to our Kubrick rankings when we, when we do two thousand and one.
1: Yeah, or and when we go back and do because there are a couple earlier on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah surely. So. Um, and I, I, oh yeah, no, it's just the point of that. I think Kubrick films are are uh, easy to praise, and you should kind of disengage that from Stanley Kubrick. Uh,
0: yeah. Is
1: the point? Uh, is that I think Stanley Kubrick. It's the same thing that annoys me about people um, copying David Bowie's uh, Ziggy Stardust makeup, (laughs) which is um, Ziggy Stardust, uh, or uh, how almost every podcast today is in some way either an impression of Ricky Gervais' podcast or an impression of My Brother, My Brother and Me, you know? yeah, Doing goofs. which,
0: which, Which one are we doing?
1: Oh, I mean... You shouldn't have to ask, should you, Carl no. Pilkington? No, but, yeah, you know.
0: We, we just need to have a third person to mock. Just we, doing. We can be both of those shows.
1: Yeah, just being, you know, doing, being, and, and is that all really successful, all, I think, like, all the major artists that that people love to replicate have almost all become who they are
0: through... um. Not replicating other people's work, well, no, like not yes. yet. No, not not like openly replicating other peoples
1: work. well, uh, well, combining their tastes in a unique way, yeah, a- and I think part of that comes down to process. And like the thing about like like eyes wide shut is uh, uh, should a film take a a film that's under three hours take eighteen months to shoot? on the face of it, no. <laughs> But that film, like watching it, it kind of ha- like it kind of has to be, like yeah. it kind of works. And the problem is, is that no one can like David Fincher can't make Stanley Kubrick films because he's not Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And so working in such a similar way that's so clearly inspired is, I think, throttling himself. You know, and yeah. like same with Wells and Mang. Um, which is to say Wells' influence on Mang. Yes, I'm yep. not saying Orson Welles rose from the dead and directed Mank. I was like, what if he did? We're both big fans of this film. Yes. Oh, like this is a film where I'm like, I cannot wait for the inevitable $200 4k box set of Kubrick films. Yeah. And to, you know, own a 4k TV and just s- stare
0: at every, just, 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 just destroy a week of my life
1: yeah and just get real blazed and lose myself in this film and i presume by then you'll be more open <laughs> you know and like if you don't that's fine you'll just be having less fun um but i and there and there are people who don't enjoy it that
0: much mm.
1: would you be interested in hearing a half star review
0: yeah I, no, I'd, I'd love to hear what a what a fool thinks about this movie
1: okay i i mean I, <laughs> shit sorry i'm reading ahead. there's just some good phraseology so yeah um uh i love lucy
0: uh uh and why don't you marry her i mean that but um because marriage is a
1: ritual about owning people and that that's innately a bad thing well, she's
0: also already married to Disney, yeah and uh and dead
1: yeah no, no, she, she's back to life. Oh, yeah? In, in Nicole Kidman, right?
0: And, and also Gillian Anderson. In, in, in American Gods, there's a scene where oh, Gillian yeah, Anderson does yeah. is, is Lucy LeBaule.
1: And uh, Catherine Hahn and uh, Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision.
2: Oh, of course.
1: You'd like those early episodes? Well, I'm sure I
0: would. So what? Like, but, but, why deny yourself I'll, pleasure? I'll spend the entire time thinking... I know it's going to turn into regular Marvel shit. Yeah, but no, I I just don't want to watch
2: anything but but that, that they make. I
1: do. Um, but you'll never finish your run. You'll never graduate from Florence University then. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I love Lucy. This half star review reads. I would like to say, before I pass my judgment on this film, that cinema is a storytelling medium. Lynch fans and cinematographers seem to forget this all too often.
0: Okay, uh, uh, already, uh, I disagree with that. Yeah, right? I don't, I don't think cinema is necessarily a storytelling medium.
1: Oh, okay, that's not the bit you disagree
0: i i mean, i mean i I also disagree with the idea that Lynch doesn't tell stories
1: and that cinematographers yeah. uh, forget
0: it. like i but but, but, but like so I, I disagree with every part of that statement
1: yeah i i think uh i I think cinema is commonly enough the because the majority of cinema is yeah. storytelling I think that's a generalization I'd allow, but I don't disagree with the spirit of also I disagree with
0: uh, what this person is going to say, which is that Barry Lyndon doesn't tell a story i'm I'm guessing.
2: It is the job of a
1: filmmaker to tell a story. Not just to present the audience with a pretty picture or clever spectacle. With that being said, I have two major issues with the film Barry Lyndon and neither of them are with the cinematography. Oh. I've always said that Stanley Kubrick is the best cinematographer in history. I mean, tell that to the cinematographer of Barry Lyndon, John Alcott.
0: Yeah, if, if you look at the films bit. Stanley you are actually shot which are uh, Fear and Desire and I believe Killer's Kiss. Yeah. They're sort of, they're like fine. They're, they're, they're like perfectly competently shot for being low budget films. Yeah, but those are
1: clearly cases of someone. It's Christopher Nolan being the cinematographer on Following. Mm-hmm. It, it's someone wants to make a film and want to employ as few people as possible. Yeah. Um, no, like he knows how to work with a cinematographer. Yes. But anyway, Barry Lyndon is a character of such mediocrity that to watch him is to watch the very essence of potential be wasted on direct and less meandering. This lack of intensity results in an inability to sustain the audience's attention for very long at all. Lyndon is a person who goes around manipulating people and we are supposed to sympathize with him when this results in misery. No, I think not. That's correct. You're like, you don't, okay. People thinking films, ha- like, you have to either understand, be interested in, or empathize with a character. And it only needs to be one of those three. Yeah. Ugh. But enough about me justifying how much I love Death Note. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, was, I, f- I was sure you were going to say death proof. I mean, that
1: jacket. Chart- Car Chase yeah. is good.
0: Car Chase is fantastic. Um,
1: but I mean uh, a whole pall of that film has kind of been cast over it now that yes. we know. Anyway. Hoo ha. Hoo ha.
0: El Pacino. Who <laughs> is it? That, that a woman where he says that? Yeah. Yeah. I've
1: got a nice she's got a great she, ass.
0: That, that's Pete. Yeah. Yeah. She's got a great
1: <laughs> ass. <laughs> this is a real dog day afternoon. <laughs> no. I found myself wishing him dead near the end of the film, which is not a pleasant experience. I don't like to wish other people harm, and I resent Kubrick for (laughs) forcing it on me by presenting me with a lad of great promise and then slowly turning him into a monster before my eyes. Had Kubrick chosen a character of the time more worthy of deception. The film might have been worth the three whole hours it took to view it. Like the idea that film is this like golden monocle that should only be gazed upon. The yeah. worthy.
0: Like, it it feels like this person had the exact correct response to Barry Lyndon, but just didn't realise it.
1: And that that's intentional. Yeah. <laughs> the film itself is little more than a series of vignettes tied together by a central character i do not believe that's true i Mm. think a lot of people watch films where this the character arc and story arc are closely related related and think they don't have a story which is like i love the florida project i cannot read any review of it because every review of it refers to it as episodic and it's like it is one of the least episodic films ever made it's not one of the least episodic films (laughs) ever made that's like victoria or (laughs) russian art you know um anyway the film itself is a little high, more
0: high noon.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, none of these vignettes are very poignant and only briefly brush against profundity amongst those who feel nostalgia for nationalism lost. What are you talking <laughs> about? And as I find myself,
0: this, this is a film about a character who constantly changes their nationality. Like he's constantly joining different armies. It's constantly abandoning their country when, when, like whenever, whenever it suits their purpose. Um, okay (laughs) I
1: can I just say that I think uh writing uh, a review that contains such that reflects on both the film you're experiencing of yourself is like a really difficult thing to do I think in terms of construction Mm -hmm. um and and honesty this is one of the best reviews we've read and and we do mark opposing views but also like that is through respect of them you know I I don't like i love lucy is allowed to think these things and if if i did not respect this opinion in some way i would not have chosen it to share yeah that said um their explanation of why they uh reject the profundity of nationalism lost which i want to be clear is a uh, a thing i don't think is in the film and b also a thing that i don't think most people think i don't think there are a lot of people out there being like I wish things were a bit more nationalism yeah. you know? Um, but their, their explanation of why they feel that way is one of the most batshit statements I've ever heard that I also kind of fundamentally agree with. It just seems insane to write this down. Um, But I also want to be clear, uh, I love Lucy, you are absolutely allowed to say, like, yeah, it's a, yeah. you know? Yeah. I just yeah. don't... Anyway... As I find myself in love with the whole earth, not just the part where I spend the first few years of my life, I simply could not relate. (laughs) And I find anyone who can to be silly and childish. (laughs) Like having a sense of place is like this person. Like what the, okay. Anyway. Do you want to guess I love Lucy's top four films? Yeah, sure. Okay, uh, one I think will be very difficult to get. It's a Z- Zatoichi film.
0: Okay, is, is it the one, Takeshi Kitano, where he does all the dancing? No, it's okay. from 1964. Okay, then yeah, yeah. but I've been a Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It. Uh, it, it's Zatoichi and the Chest of Gold. Okay. Um, I need to, I've never, I haven't seen a Zatoichi film. No, um, neither, and neither. I presume they are good. The next is a 1954 David Lean.
0: Oh, okay, 54. Doop, doop, doop. Uh, is, is it a Dickens adaptation? No. No? Uh, what, like, uh, uh, the Hobson's Choice. Dang! Yeah. With Charles Lawton.
1: I love him. The
0: next is
1: um, a pretty unfair lady, if you ask me.
2: <laughs> or pre-fair lady.
0: No idea what you're driving at. What's "Pre, My Fair Lady? Is it My Girl starring Macaulay Culkin? No, no. Okay. Okay, uh, it's
1: adapted from a play. Uh, directed by Leslie Howard and Anthony Asquith, 1938. You know this cast. You know David Tree. You know Everly Gregg. Oh, yeah. You know Esme Percy.
0: Irene Brown. Is, is, uh, okay, so, so this is a film from England?
1: Yeah, 1938.
0: Yeah, uh, is it an Ealing film? No, Gabriel
1: Pascal. 1938. Adapted from a play that is before My Fair Lady. Hawk in the title.
0: Okay, it's Pygmalion? Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, I, I, I thought it was something more complicated than that. Oh, no,
1: no, okay. no. Yeah, no. Sorry. I'm, I'm I apologize. Uh, and the next one uh, also... Yeah,
0: you should feel bad about it.
1: Uh, the next one also adapted from a play in 1984, also has five stars from David Sims.
0: Um, that guy gives out so many fucking five stars to movies. I would give five stars to this film.
1: Okay. Uh, it's an F. Murray Abraham joint.
0: Oh, okay. Murray Abraham.
1: Uh, we discussed it while watching Basil Linden. Baza Lazar, sorry.
0: Okay. So it's not uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. What?
1: No, being made 36 years.
0: Is it Amadeus? Yeah. All right. Have you seen it? Uh, no. It's good.
1: Yeah, totally it's good. good. Uh, um, yeah, check it out. And it's a,
0: it's a movie my dad always brings up as an example of a bad movie. So fun. Yeah.
1: Great Gatsby. Yep. First Baz Luhrmann film. Uh, yes. Have you been deliberately avoiding Luhrmann or?
0: Uh, I mean, like, I've, I've just, I don't know, it, it, it's just never seemed like my thing really. I remember one of my media studies uh, tutors at university always talked about how her favorite film was Romeo plus Juliet. And I was like, yep. "Yeah, sure." Uh, was it Claire Danes? Uh, 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 no. Oh. No. Was
1: it Miriam Marley? Uh, no.
0: Was it Pete Postlethwaite? No. Straight? No. Everyone knows that Miriam Margulies' favorite movie is End of Days, where she starred in with, Arnold- with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, where she played a uh, where she played a, a Satan worshipping nurse. Yeah,
1: of course, like. A role she was born to play, I'd yeah. say.
0: She she has a she has a great fight scene with with, with Schwarzenegger in that. She gets killed by being crushed with a piano. A,
1: I don't remember. I've seen that film and I do not remember that. You
0: bit. know, it's directed by Peter Hyams, the dad of uh, John Hyams, the director of uh, Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning.
1: Oh wow, uh, good to see they're keeping it in the family. Yeah.
0: And 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 Peter Hines is also uh, the the cinematographer on uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration, uh, 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 John Hines' first Universal Soldier film. So, did and that's right? This is no longer about Baz Luhrmann; <laughs> yeah. it's about the Himeses. So, did was that
1: that Tudor's decision did it factor? And have you have you just not watched them, or have you chosen not to seen Baz Luhrmann?
0: They just didn't seem like things that I would enjoy particularly, and so I didn't pursue them. And be like only movies of his that have come out while I've been a functioning person. Yeah, are uh, Australia and Moulin Rouge and The Great Gatsby. Yeah. and none of those seemed interesting to me as uh, like a as like an eight year old or a or like a fifteen year old.
1: What was not interesting about them?
0: I mean, have you have you seen Australia?
1: Okay, no, like Australia. <laughs> uh, Clear boondoggle (laughs) and and, and possible tax shelter that it (laughs) seems to be uh, out of the uh, out of the question, but like to me, Moulin Rouge is a um, constantly swirling fantasia uh, of lights and sound that expresses that that aims to express the agony and ecstasy ecstasy of both music and love. And, and does so with a plum, with a visual style that speaks to um, it's it, Baz Luhrmann's background in the theatre mm. and, and to more theatrical filmmaking, while still distinctly being its own thing, its own modern thing. To me, that's like kind of a self-evidently good idea.
0: You know, I think there might have actually been a, a DVD of of Moulin Rouge in in my house when I was younger. Yeah. And I think uh,
1: so. Uh, you you yeah. So really i really choosing. I I
0: I believe it got warped when I uh, tried to use it to put out a candle. Really. I think so. Why did you? I I need I need, okay, to, put, I need yeah. to put up a candle, and this is the closest thing at hand. Really. I think so. Yeah. How old were you? I don't know, like eight or nine, maybe. And was that, like, you were also trying to burn the Mon no. Rouge? No, I, 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 I... Was
1: the candle, like, burning something else?
0: No. What the <laughs> f... Oh.
1: And you were eight or nine. I think so, so yeah. So did you know what you were doing is wrong?
0: I mean, I, I thought the candle was just going to go out. I didn't know, know it would hurt the DVD.
1: Okay. So this is already... We've already gone, like, much deeper. <laughs> <laughs> we've revealed... But, like, what is it about, yeah, like, Gatsby and Moulin Rouge as the films that, that came out while you were... Alive. <laughs> well, no, you were alive in 1997. No. No? Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, and, and then there's Strictly Ballroom, which is in... um. Nineteen
0: ninety two. Yeah, so R- 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 Romeo plus Juliet was playing at was playing at the Academy like 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 a month ago, and I was I was thinking about going to see it. I mean, I think I was just like out of town on the day where, when it played, so I, I I would have seen it then if I hadn't had other stuff.
1: Um, yeah, Romeo plus Juliet. Like yeah. I,
0: like I, I'm I'm like I, I think I will enjoy that. Yeah, yeah,
1: it is, and that's a film that I am in a position of having absolutely no distance or objectivity mm. on because it, like it came out when I was 10 mm. and within my like pretentious leftist bubble uh, of, of art schools, like the fact that both like when I was taught Shakespeare and like performance in both theater in, in both primary school and high school, mm. we were shown Baz Lumens, Romeo yeah. and Juliet, like the soundtrack for Romeo and Juliet is incredibly formative to me. Mm. Like th- almost very likely, the reason I love Radiohead is because of the song they wrote for it
0: uh, i I assume it was also for reason that you love Harold Perrineau.
1: yeah, I mean that mm-hmm. that's true uh it's it, it, it was like the first time I met Huffle yeah. and also like within those fields, like, I saw a lot of stage challenges with right, number yeah, one yeah. crush in them. like it is like Romeo and Juliet in terms of cultural footprint, especially for my upbringing. Is like Lion King mm-hmm. big is like a fundamental part of the weave of uh, life. Yeah. But, um, and but I also think it's good, and I think it, it has how it has been received has, has had peaks and troughs, and I think it's because it is a film that is uh, inc- all of his films are incredibly camp. Mm-hmm. um which is not a synonym for bad as i've said before on this podcast um and that film it manage is about a very specific kind of heterosexual camp that i think is very specifically designed for teenage girls and i think a lot of the peaks and troughs of its response have been about where we stand on um where the culture stands on whether it's okay the things to be the teenage girls. Um, but yeah, I recommend checking that out. Strictly Bald Room, it, <laughs> Strictly Bald Room <laughs> is um, the sequel to Max Headroom <laughs> where he gets a digital haircut. Uh, it, it, check it out. Uh, it, it's good. You could only see it during a mid eighties rerun of H- the horns of um, that That's a joke for one person, me. Uh, and I am I going to explain it? You better not. No. Uh, and Moulin Rouge, uh, I reacted against at the time, but that's because I was fourteen and it was so it, it like and like when I say four girls, you know what I mean, yeah. right?
0: Like, like it's got it's got it's got Hollywood hunk Jim Broadbent in it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, and Hollywood hunk Nicole Kidman. <laughs> It yeah, sounds good. Like she, like yeah, she's great. if if like I I would call Ewan McGregor beautiful, and I would call <laughs> Nicole Kidman hunky, and, and and neither of the like am I, where's the lie though?
0: I'm not really sure hunky works for for Nicole Kidman. I think I, I think there are women you can use that word for, but I
1: just really appreciate her solidity. Do you know what I mean? She like she she's a she she's a bug. <laughs> She's a big woman. <laughs> I'm not lying. She she's tall, right? I don't know, but she seems tall, right? Because she was married to Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> but she's never been willowy, and so like I think about her, like in *Birth* or and like obviously *Destroyer*.
0: But- I mean, like if, if, like when when when, when 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 I think of Nicole Kidman, I think of like I think of like eyes wide shut, and she she she's, she seems like. Uh yeah, okay. I'll yeah. give you guys my
1: chat. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, uh, but also, anyway, we're
0: done with talking about what specific body type Nicole Kidman
1: has. But it's not. But like, <laughs> no, okay. But the important thing to understand mm. is that the kind of body type she has is very important. <laughs> like it is vital for us to express that our opinions yeah. as men yeah. about <laughs> Nicole Kidman's body. Possibly the most important information that exists. Everyone
0: needs to hear them.
1: Um, uh, uh, But yeah, I, I, I do think a lot of, uh, and Moulin Rouge is a film I've warmed to a lot more recently. Um, uh, uh, and that is because I realized I always kind of liked it. Um, And a lot of my deciding not to like it was because of like my uh, internal battles around uh, discovering my sexuality right? and and that being confronted with something that is, is so for girls, but not girly. Do you know what Hmm. I mean? Like uh, uh, both Romeo plus Juliet and Moulin Rouge Uh, are about romance in an incredibly visceral, explosive and destructive way. It, it, the 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 heterosexual camp because it is almost like the violence of affection, um, and, and the simulacra around it. <laughs> no, it's it is it is those things, um, and, and, and finding an appeal in that made me worry about myself about things I didn't needn't have worried about, um, and, and gets be. I, I just think it is. Like whether you think they are good or bad, and I, I have not seen Australia and I have not seen the get down. Mm. I really I I keep meaning to get to the get down, I have not seen Australia. Yeah. And I like I will at some point, but I'm not like rearing for it. Yeah. But all of his other films that I've seen are in James Rouge and Gatsby being the especial three uh so all of them but ballroom which is like fine but it's a first film it's him working this is this is a man whose style yeah, it's, it's, requires it's resources
0: it's his clerks
1: like yeah it kind of is it, no. it, it, it in fact kind of is Damn it. <laughs> uh, 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 uh i mean in, in none of the ways that tangibly <laughs> yeah, matter yeah. you know um but is that they it was,
0: it was shot it was shot all <laughs> night for day in a in a convenience store.
1: Yeah, and the reason it's in black and white is so they didn't have to um match indoor and outdoor colour temperature yep. and um if if you made it now it would be roundly mocked. Yep. I just my thing about Kevin Smith is I went through a long period of really loving him and yeah. really being into his work. And, Same. I, and, I, and I think the work that I love, I, I think there is a lot of real, okay, Clerks is a, Clerks, is Clerks, but like, and, and much fewer people were making films at that point, so the barrier to entry was lower. And like, would you succeed if you made a Clerks now? No. But like, there are other films from the Clerks era that are like Clerks, but not as good and yeah. fail. Like, if you look at the other viewer skew films that he funded his friends to make, like Drawing Flies. Okay, like, I,
0: do, I do not know about Oh,
1: these. yeah, no, they're, they're literally like the other guys who worked in the video shop. Right. Once he had money from Clerks were Chasing Amy or Dogma, mm-hmm. he gave them money. And, like, Drawing Flies has Jason Lee in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and there's another one that's kind of interesting about psychopathic kids with a school shooting. Oh, come on. And there's a better place um and and like a better place is a much more technically competent film than clerk but is it's just about people being mean to each other so like clerks is successful like clerks does things well and there are good jokes in it as much as it is a relic of the past i enjoy more at i think chasing amy is like has genuinely interesting and complex things to say.
0: Yeah, Do- I I really loved Chasing Amy when I was a teenager, and I'm so I, I feel so scared to revisit it. Because,
1: but like, yeah, I think Chasing Amy is a great like entry point into faintly indie film. Like Chasing yeah. Amy was the first thing I saw on Criterion. Right. And is it my favorite thing that's on Criterion? No. Is it my least favorite? By far and away, no. Mm. But like, it taught me about that kind of mood of film and pace of film. Jansen and Bob Strike Back because I'm a fan I like. Yeah. And Clerks too, I think, has like it's hard to be mad at Rosario Dawson and a film that is like, nah, fuck it. This will just end with a donkey sex thing. You know? <laughs> um and like there there's shitloads of problematic shit in there. But it it he I just I the point I'm trying to get to is that I think if everyone else had the arc of Kevin Smith's career. We would be behaving in the same way like as much as we can be like check out this big shorted lunk head, um <laughs> just keeping a daily blog about how he gets high writes films records a podcast and fucks his wife <laughs> and including like precisely how many hash browns he got from mcdonald's that day
0: yeah I, i'd be like, or just like, like every like once or twice a week he'll post a picture of himself crying because he's just watched avengers infinity war again yeah and yeah. like
2: like i like cool
1: and like, and like his like fucking Jersey Girl is not the is not the apocalyptically bad film people think it is, but it's not
0: good. No, but it, it's perfectly watchable for yeah. the most part. It's got George Carlin in it. Yeah. He's nice. He's- and
1: like it, it's it's fun and charming. Hmm. Um, and, and Zack and Mary is I've only seen it once, but is I think might secretly be great. Everything after that is very much him kind of fucking around and finding out. Yeah. And including in that, like...
0: I haven't seen Red State, but people like Red State.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I have seen a lot, but not all of Red (laughs) State. And Red State really has the vibe of, like, I've heard of horror films. Yeah. Um, Michael Park has the lead is really good. Um, And apparently there are, like, performances in Tusk that people really, really like. But but what the fuck is that? Yoga Hoses. No one's seen it. It's impossible. It doesn't exist. Uh, it's a psy- I,
0: I, I, think, I think Tusk is one of those movies where, like, we're like every, every so often there'll, there'll be, like, a, a bunch of, like, 14-year-olds on TikTok who are, like, guys, there's this crazy movie where a guy it turns a guy into a into a walrus. This is the, this is the craziest movie to ever be made. I mean, and a bunch of 14-year-olds watch Tusk and, like, have their minds blown by and, it.
1: And over the end credits is literally a snippet from the director's podcast where he, on the podcast, comes up with yeah. the idea for the sh- for the film. Um, but like all of those good Kevin Smith films, like they go down smooth. They yeah. are fun to watch. It is fun to listen to his characters talk. And I feel the same way about Bears Lumen's visual style. Those core three, R and J, Moulin Rouge, and Gatsby, I I just have a great time looking at them. Like yeah. whether you think they are good or bad, and like in as much as almost a parody of itself has style is yeah. which is like someone looking at speed racer and going this should be both gayer and straighter oh yeah
0: like like yeah like the, the, this movie feels very speed racery and in, in, in the in the way that 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 the, that the visuals work in the way that, like it transitions between shots yeah i think this might be the only other film i can think of that feels kind of like a like a post speed racer film that, that tried to do that sort of thing
1: well, and it's interesting because it is—it is obviously chronologically post Speed Racer, but it is also so clearly an evolution of the style he established on Moulin Rouge, um, and, and uh, which developed out of Romeo and Juliet, which has an equally heightened style, but um, in in a different way.
0: Yeah, like yeah, so like in in Romeo and Juliet, things are happening in like real environments. Yeah, yeah, whereas like in uh, yeah in in moulin rouge he's moved more into like green screens and stuff
1: well no, no, uh, no? i'm not sure about green screens but it's set right it, it, okay. it is it is very and
0: he's like he's heightening the artifice a lot more in moulin rouge well yeah and yeah. And,
1: and leaning into that but yeah. there is also and then
0: and Great gatsby just goes even further where nothing is real apart from like a, a couple of like a couple of exterior shots
1: yeah and so and it, so it feels like they owe debts to each other like mm. it, it does feel like with this constant sense of there being whole sequences in Gatsby that where all of the transitions are complex wipes yeah. or or whip pans um, or 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 jump cuts that you could lay them out like a scroll, like a long yeah. panorama, which I think is a very post Speed Racer thing, um, and especially in that kind of both of them are the the kind of the two films that were like what is the actually new lingo. Non-linear digital editing can give a film. Yeah,
0: and they, they both have scenes where people drive a car fast.
1: Yeah, that that's true. They're yeah. the only two films yep. that have that. Um, I believe he started in the theatre. Yeah. Um, in Australia. Yeah, where where he's from, and, and had uh, uh, he started his own theatre company. Um, they did work that that got big, but his career has kind of been all over the place. Yeah. Um, and like in some parts of the world, he's kind of more famous for his song, the sunscreen song. But like, oh, so okay. so he has like uh, a strange and somewhat scattered uh, career, mm. kind of shown by the big gaps between his films. Um, and, and he has, you know, he's put on operas, he put on la hymn between things, and, and like you can see that in his work. You can, but it is, its It's always kind of a mash of things, and he's always been working across kind of multiple disciplines, which I think you can see in his work as well. And so I guess, is it, I want, yeah, what was it, when you look at a Baz Luhrmann film and like, this isn't for me, what are you saying that isn't for you?
0: It's sort of hard to say, because all of the things that I see in like trailers for his movies, but maybe be like, oh, I probably wouldn't like that. Are things that I enjoy in other movies? Yeah,
1: right. I had that feeling. Yeah, like that is that was my feeling about Moulin Rouge at the time. I'm not. This is not yeah. a gotcha interview.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, love you know like hyper stylization. Yeah, I love uh, bi- uh, I love big crazy emotions. Yeah, I love uh uh, uh Jim Broadbent. Yeah, I love Jim Broadbent. Love, Kylie Minogue. Yeah, love lo- love a good needle drop. Oh man, <laughs> you just
1: just any <laughs> of his, film, you know, um. It, it, but it is it's very strange because I do think it is is that 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 Bez like he's only made five films, but it feel like I think he deserves more respect. I mean, he makes hundreds of millions of dollars and then worked on the get down, which is still maybe like. The most expensive non-IP TV series ever made. Yeah. Which involved like like they would build a street set. He would come out and say, no, all these angles are wrong and get them to rebuild it and shit like that. Rearrange the fruit on fruit carts one by one by hand. Like but I just like it it is hard work to make films this slick that aren't jarring, that they're always kind of smooth and fun. And, like, in like, Romeo and Juliet, um, uh, during the opening fight, someone pulls out their gun and says, uh, uh, I have my rapier or something. And so, of course, the camera zooms into the gun and reveals that it is a rapier-brand pistol. <laughs> and, like, that's ridiculous. That's, like, a joke. Yeah. But, like, in the film, you, like, you buy it and it goes along. And it seems like all of his choices are the obvious choice. I think that's part of it, right? Like, his films, in a way feel obvious. Um, but they're obvious because he does them and they work. Do you know what I mean? Like it, like doing The Great Gatsby as this big kind of Technicolor throwback to 50s and 60s musicals um, set in an idealized version of the 20s that is also a... Like has, has the pace of a superhero film, the cutting of Speed Racer," and the soundtrack and a soundtrack from by a hip-hop artist. Yeah. kind of at this point, you're like, well, that's, like, that's such a 2013 idea, you know? Because yeah. all of those bits obviously fit together. It feels obvious right, right, but yeah. that's I think part of why they feel obvious is because he did them and it worked. And it is like after Romeo Plus Juliet at Sheila Wynn, the New Zealand National High School. Shakespeare scene right, competition, yeah. like up until I stopped paying attention, which was, you know, 2006, yeah. 2007, maybe, maybe I, yeah, I will have paid a bit of attention to my first year of uni. Even then, which is 10 years after the film, you could count on there being at least one scene, which was people either doing, just doing a scene from Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, yeah. like the joke in Hot Fuzz, Where they see Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet, or clearly doing like we'll do Julius Caesar, but they're in Hawaiian shirts with guns. Yeah, and yet like that idea of it being that doing it in that brash young way, uh, in a way that is deliberately appealing to youth through both soundtrack and aesthetic through casting. It seems fucking obvious, but that's because it was everywhere after he did it. There are not many, like, the major Shakespeare's of the 90s that aren't that are, like, Kenneth Branagh doing his full-text Hamlet in 70 mil in a kind of timeless, quote-unquote, modern way. Which is, like, I love that film. It's great. Is Hamlet possibly the best piece of writing of all time? Like, I don't 100% believe that like I used to. And maybe King Lear is better, but anyway. Mm, okay. uh, and also like, um, come on, complete the thought, Brain. Uh, and like the Ian McKellen Richard the Third, which is Richard the Third, is Nazi. And oh, it right. is interesting yeah. that that post R plus J is when you get Ten Things I Hate About You, mm. or that Um Amanda Bynes film, uh, That she, is Twelfth Night.
0: Is that like she's the man? Yes, yeah, I believe
1: yeah. I believe so. Um, which is it? It feels like Romeo and Juliet is just part of that field, but no, it was it was uh-huh, it was the forefront.
0: Yeah, all oh. the Rapunzel Coriolanus. Yeah, but yeah. that was like no, it's exactly it's exactly <laughs> the same. Uh, yeah, it's okay, part, of, cool. part of that trend. The one people, and the, the Justin Kurzel Macbeth.
1: The the two in that era that I wish people would give more attention to is the Ethan Hawke Hamlet is really good. Hamlet is a video artist. It's very pretentious. Uh, yeah. Um but I I, I, li- I like that and O which is Mackay Pfeiffer as Othello with Julia Stiles as Desdemona and okay. it's about uh college basketball. Okay. No, it's like it, it it's good. Yeah. Um and like the th- and another thing I think about that makes it right because so much and, and correct me if I'm wrong like about Baz's aesthetic, uh uh Uh, is it's like The Curse of Tim Burton or Wes Anderson. Is that when an aesthetic, it's so identifiable that you can dismiss it and you can say that it is inappropriate to the film, whereas like... Or
0: or you can just be like, oh, he's just doing the Baz Luhrmann thing again.
1: Yeah. And and whereas like, I think there are cases with Tim Burton where he is just taking something else and making it Tim Burton-y. But I think like the other major case Uh, uh, of that isn't like Wes Anderson films could only kind of be in Wes Anderson style. Yes. Like that's the way those stories should be presented for good or ill. But like the other example of someone act doing the thing we think Baz does is like David Fincher, like half of David Fincher's films are films that shouldn't be in David Fincher's style. Like the reason um, Dragon Tattoo, Fight Club and Gone Girl are by far and away his, best films and like seven being a good formative one the one where he locked the style is because they're the films that his style applies to and the rest is like curious case of benjamin button why does that need to look like a david fincher film why does the game need to look like a david fincher film you know and in baz's case all of the stories he's chosen again i have no interest in seeing australia is that Romeo and Juliet is a story not about love, but about passion, about children just being really fucking into each other and that being incredibly destructive. And it's about the same passion that is in music videos. So making it like a music video makes sense. Moulin Rouge is a similarly epic tale of tragic love in Paris uh, in a way that is about like, the pain behind glitz and glamour. And so like, it kind of has to be in that way. And like the great Gatsby is, is about how uh, it, about how um like the beauty of richness is an illusion that mm. destroys people. And like, of course, like, like the great Gatsby is something you should do in Baz Luhrmann. So do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah.
0: With the like wave of this movie, look the entire time I was like, I know why we're doing this. I get, I like, I get what they're going for. Yeah, but I just don't enjoy looking at it for for a lot of it. Okay, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I think maybe if I'd seen this movie in 3D in a theater, I, I would have had a different reaction to it.
1: I yeah, I think it's
0: of think the think films, yeah. this
1: is the one whose look has dated the most, yes. and I think 3D is a big part of that. This was a film that was shot in 3D, um, and. and has a lot of moments in it. I never saw it in yeah. 3D. Um I, I think we lose yeah a lot.
0: Yeah. And like in in something like Speed Racer, which was, you know, almost like ten years earlier than this. Yeah. I feel like that movie flows. There is a way that all the scenes which give and even within the scenes, it just sort of flows and it, it all feels like one cohesive thing. But in this there are like lots of short juxtapositions which I just find incredibly jarring in, yeah. in places where I don't think it should be jarring.
1: Yeah, and I...
0: In in the scene where where they all go to the hotel room with Joel Edgerton and Isla Fisher and Tobey Maguire, and they're all getting drunk and having a party. There are so many cuts in that, but I was like, weird.
1: Yeah, and and I think the thing that has changed is that music videos are less present and less, because we don't watch broadcast television, and so there's never nothing on, because there's always nothing on. There's never nothing on so you don't turn to the music video thing. yeah and so you're not more like the, those sequences jar now i don't disagree with you and and that's because it's not a language you slip easily into yeah like yeah now like the, everyone
0: who's making who's making music videos now what also wants to be like an experimental short filmmaker yeah
1: and like the way you would do it now is that <laughs> you would do it as a vlog
0: yeah you do the, like, what's like, Hank Green produced the...
1: Yeah, yeah, the Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't remember what it was
0: the What's that character's name in, in the book? The lead of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. What is it? But his name's Elizabeth.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's the... L- uh, is, it's the, is, it's the is it Brown? It's the Lizzie Bennet direct. Oh, uh, Liz- Lizzie Bennet direct. Yeah, but I think you would just do that scene as a vlog. Mm. I think you'd do that scene as a as a Jake Paul vlog. Uh, it's, like, people holding up their GoPros and being like, Yeah. You know? um. And I, I, yeah, it makes me sad that the film has dated, but I also think it's good
0: that that it, it has dated. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think this is bad. I think the overwhelmingness of the of the visuals is like obviously purposeful, and it 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 is trying to make you feel kind of kind of like dizzy with, yeah. with how much how much excess it is showing you, and just how absolutely artificial every single yeah every single element of every single shot looks. Except for like Leonardo DiCaprio being in the middle of them, he he he's like there are like all these big party scenes where everyone's doing crazy, boring hedonism, and and Leo's just standing in like standing in the middle of frame, just like totally centering it, which I which I like, and like I I'm yeah, being
1: I slightly I apart
0: from yeah, it, of course, and I think Leo's really fucking good in this.
1: I. He kills it, yeah, right? Like he He's he, so good. <laughs> like uh, is is this like the same year as Wolf of Wall Street? No. No, no, no. Wait. Shit. Fuck, Wolf of Wall Street seems it is. And, yeah. and it seems like a much more recent film it, yeah, it than does. the Great Gatsby. Uh in a way, fuck, that is so I would have sworn to you that there was maybe three to five years between.
0: Them. Yeah. Cause yeah, as soon as I said, it, I was like, "No, Wolf Wall Street was like 2015," but no, it's the same year. I just can't deal. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> I,
1: sorry, I'm just uh, time. Time yeah. is time is crushing me, and I can't breathe. Yeah, um, and it's
0: like it's two sort of similar performances. Yeah, going in the opposite direction. They're both about like men from poor backgrounds who decide to raise themselves up and do whatever it takes to become rich. Yeah, and and what what, what one of them just like lets it totally consume mm-hmm. him. And comes to identify with all the things that have like, or, or he 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 like he begins to identify with his own wealth and and cannot see himself as separate from it. And 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 The Great Gatsby is about someone who who becomes enormously wealthy but is always apart from it. Well, and and that also and it's also like Barry Lyndon. Mm. But I mean, I think of of the two movies, I think The Wolf of Wall Street is probably a better movie. But I think I like the great gatsby more just because i i've like i just had like a bunch of like weird personal issues with with the wolf of wall street that stopped me properly enjoying it go on like you
1: find margot robbie's buddy <laughs> disgusting
0: <laughs> that is a movie where every single thing like this movie is like technically immaculate yeah obviously dicaprio is great in it yeah but i i just don't find anything that happens in it interesting i and not not even in a way of like Oh, this guy's doing bad stuff and well, I don't think the movie's calling him out enough for doing bad stuff. I was <laughs> like, like it's fine, but I I just don't care about anything that's happening. Like in the, the scene where he takes the quailudes and he can't get into his car. Okay. I'm like, this is a very good physical performance. Yeah. But I just I just don't care.
1: Okay, that is the bad that, that
0: Yeah. I, okay, I, I shut up, That... Like, <laughs> that.
1: That bit's hilarious. Okay, so I, just don't,
0: I just don't care about it.
1: The, this is why, and I say this with love and not meaning it at all, I think you need to take drugs. <laughs> but yeah, no, we don't need to talk about The Plot of the Great Gatsby. Uh, if, you, if you don't know The Plot of the Great Gatsby, watch The Great Gatsby or watch the 70s Great Gatsby, which I know a lot of people really love. Um, and like uh, Or read the book. Yeah,
0: the, the book is A, short. Be good, yeah. Like, what, 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 like, what, what watching this? I, 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 I'd never read Greg Gatsby, but I was like, you know, I, sh- I should read Greg Gatsby. This seems good, yeah. it seems like a thing I'd enjoy a lot. Well, and it, it manages
1: to, uh, because uh, they frame it because the book is obviously narrated by Nick Carraway, mm. um, and, and within the film, it's given the frame that he, 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 no, like, the frame is implicit in the book, but anyway, yeah, um, that he's right, you see him writing it and so it's a yeah. Baz Luhrmann film, he, he, so you see the words floating in the air. Yeah. And it really, like, I, I was talking to you about Poetic Justice, the John Singleton-Maya uh, yeah, yeah. Angelou joint, which is uh, a film um, that basically exists to prove it's a crime that we didn't get more Tupac Shakur films, yeah. and it's a crime that Janet Jackson isn't just, it isn't just you know, doesn't have a film a year, mm. you know, because uh, they're, they're both huge movie stars. But that, that's a film about a poet. Um, hence the title. And you hear her poetry, and her poetry is literally written by Maya Angelou, who is, uh, if anyone wants my poetry opinion, a, a an excellent poet, uh, one of the all time timeless greats, I would say. And even when you've got poetry by Maya Angelou, for some reason in that context, it comes off boring and pretentious. Yeah. But if Scott Fitzgerald's words coming out of Spider Man's voice or floating on the screen work. Maybe it is part of how the world is heightened. But anyway, all of that aside, check out the Great Gatsby. Let's talk about Leo in this film because I I think he's incredible yeah. in it. And it is that thing of like Leonardo DiCaprio is probably a bad man. I mean, he loves dating really young people, and which is which is, sucks. Don't you know? Stop. But he is. Is he the person who has captured the best? Like, he has been blessed with leading man looks yeah. and now a great plastic surgeon. But, like, with a character actor's heart. So every time he plays a lead, it is always in a weird non-lead way. Yeah. And, and that is who Gatsby needs to I be. I mean,
0: the, the other ones I'd pick on that would be, like, Tom Hardy. But even he,
1: like, Tom Hardy is, like, to me is, like, a really attractive character actor. He's not, like, he's not beautiful do you know what i mean i mean
0: have 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 you seen that dude's lips oh it, look look there's a reason we have to put him in a mask or a giant beard every time he's playing a masculine character because yeah. that dude's lips are insane yeah
1: look <laughs> tom hardy is a smoke show he's, he's a hunk but he he couldn't like <laughs> okay here is what the thing of like what i think all-time movie star yeah, good yeah. look clark gable Errol Flynn, yeah, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, like Brad Pitt is just like, you just immediately buy that they'd be a vampire. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And like Tom Hardy, you like, more a, more yeah, of a werewolf. he is a werewolf. Why is Tom <laughs> Hardy? Okay. Uh, hi, Universal. Uh,
0: it's Uther. I've got a great idea. For dark universe, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Universal, I, you know that dark universe you've been looking for? I know you
1: wanted a Javier Bardem.
0: Oh, but right, but yeah. Tom
1: Hardy, have you seen Venom? <laughs> Holy shit, imagine had, him werewolfing. Had,
0: had Javier, has Javier Bardem played a werewolf before? Or was that Benicio del Toro in that werewolf movie?
1: It was Benicio del Toro, right, yeah,
0: yeah, in The Wolf Mask. Yes, Gatsby
1: is such a, a, a key mysterious character. Like Barry Lyndon, he is this man who has come from nothing, yeah. decided that the only way to have any worth is to literally have capital, to be a bright person someone who is seen by God and can act as God or think as God but also in that process has absolutely annihilated himself and so it is not like the the funniest thing about Gatsby and about this film of Gatsby is of course the amount of people who are like it's so fucking romantic let's throw big let's throw big parties in this style it's like did you see the film it's about he's a wreck and it inevitably kills him like there's no uh, spoilers for the Great Gatsby, one of the most famous stories ever told, I guess. yeah, uh, um <laughs> I mean, I presume there are people out there who are, are like when he's like, "I've never swum in that pool," or like, oh, "I hope I see him <laughs> swim in that pool." Yeah
0: the like other way I think this 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 who is very similar to Barry Lyndon. Is like we talked about how in Barry Lyndon there is this explosion of violence in one scene, which just feels like the film is breaking. Yeah, and and there is also a similar scene in in in, in this, where they are in a hotel room with Jolly Edgerton and uh, uh, and Carrie Mulligan and Elizabeth Debicki, yeah. and, and Jolly Edgerton is like exposing who who he is, proving that he's 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 not a man of of culture and breeding. He's yeah. just he's just some fucking farm boy who who like got lucky. And when Gatsby can't take it anymore, he just he just explodes at Joel Edgerton yeah. in this like like if, if, if this like incredibly tragic but also like shocking way,
1: and uh, the- like it's ugly and humiliating. Like yeah. it is it, it it is his facade breaking. In and-,
0: and like there, there there are always those scenes in movies where like someone is someone is like baited into like someone's baited into like. In, into like sh- into like shouting or yep. being violent i mean it, it like shocks the, the woman that we with the yep. evil guy who who's also wants the woman is like i did it and like in a lot of those movies it feels phony but dicaprio fucking sells it so hard yeah and he feels broken and dangerous
1: well and who and yeah and that's kind of what i'm getting to is i can't yep. think of another because like part of gatsby is that he has to be a magnet yes he has to be a movie star but he also has to be that broken. And I genuinely like Tom Hardy. You'd be like, no one wants to go to a party to this guy's house. Look at him. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's like, a sack of marbles about to crush me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the like or, to, to, Tom, Tom Hardy is like, there's yeah. the, the, the sort all of like movies. He's great at leading. are like venom. Yeah. this just like, where we'll just, we'll let this fucking like maniac character actor, dude, be the lead of a superhero movie. And he'll he'll get to play himself, and also be the, and also be the voice of a symbiote monster.
1: But also, like if it, if it was Tom Hiddleston, you'd be like, this guy's gonna induct me into a cult. Yeah. Well, if it was Brad Pitt, you'd be like, oh, this is just gonna be a bit boring. Yeah. And so, like there is like in the '74 Gatsby, it's Robert Redford, and like he is the prior person I can think of who could be Gatsby.
0: Yeah. It seems like in the '80s they would have at least tried it with Douglas. But he has the like looks, yeah. and as well, power to pull it off. But there is there, there is something kind of too sleazy about Douglas. Well,
1: he, yeah, he's a Tom Buchanan. Yeah, is the thing. Like Michael, I w- I yes, Was yes. he? Was he? I I am now saying that, like, was he literally actually Tom Buchanan? I don't believe. No, so.
0: no, I, I don't. I don't think so. But but yeah, like he 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 could have done that really well.
1: It was Bruce Dern. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like Bruce Dern makes sense.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you you want Buchanan to be like a real to be like a big like solid dude.
1: Yeah. No. He, he has to be. He's old money. He's, yeah. He and he's the threat of legacy. Yeah. Um. like I think everyone in this cast does a good-ish job. Yeah. I I like Carrie Mulligan has been publicly critical of her own performance in it as Daisy. Okay. And I think part of that is that, that Daisy is a borderline unperformable character because she's both absolutely a real person and absolutely an ideal. And I can't, cannot really think of a case of someone threading that. Not, I think it is, I think, I think the biggest problem with Gatsby is that Daisy has to exist simultaneously in two worlds on the page and like, you can't, you can't put that into a performance. You yeah. cannot literally be two things at once. I mean, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying. But I. But she's also not bad. No. you know. Um, and, and like the early Debicki, which is always nice to see. There's some Jason Clark in this. Yeah, Jason, who
0: who does his his classic Jason Clark of playing a bad husband who gets increasingly uh, uh, disgusting and seedy as the movie goes on. It's,
1: it's all he knows. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about his heart.
0: Um, I mean, if there's like Isla Fisher, who just like is very Isla Fishery,
1: but like, yeah, there it's great casting. Yeah,
0: and how so how 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 do you feel about Tobey Maguire in this?
1: I I just don't really have much time for Tobey Maguire in general. Okay, which is not to say I dislike him, but I've never been like, oh Tobey Maguire. Yeah. and I think the times I've really engaged with Tobey Maguire, which is Pleasantville, Spider-Man's one and two, Mm. and this have been because he is kind of nothing. Like he's kind of like Nick Carraway is our narrator and is the protagonist, but he's not the lead. Like he's the person who's in every scene. We see it through his eyes and, but he's kind of an empty vessel to show us the story. And that I think is also true of Pleasantville. And I think that's also, what works about Sam Raimi inventing the superhero film as theme park ride uh, in, in those Spider-Man films is that he's like, he's giving us someone who is kind of neutral and like, that's difficult uh, so that we can, anyone can see yourself in Peter Parker. Yeah. You know, I don't mind him in this, but it is noteworthy that I like him when he's not doing things, when he's not making a mark, you know? Yeah. What's your take on him?
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think it's sort of similar. It, it's like it it is. It's hard to pay attention to him when, when which is like again, like that that's sort of a point. Yeah. It's like you 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 want someone who's not going to take any of the fucking spotlight from from Gatsby, because the, the like whole point of this is no one no one can take their eyes off of him. Yeah. Like until until they do. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Like he he I think he like he is solid, but still sort of like unremarkable in this.
1: Um. And- I think the other bit of casting to comment on is Amitabh Bachchan, um, the Bollywood star, oh, the right. Bollywood star who uh, uh, young Dev Patel is trying to get his signet, get his autograph while covered in shit in *Slumdog Millionaire*. <laughs> uh, plays Maya Wolfsheim, who, uh who uh, is is the person running the racket that Gadsby is involved in, yeah. and has a very symbolic golden tooth on his tie, a lot of gold. Wonder if it means anything? No, probably not. And I think that's really interesting because, like, Amitabh uh, yeah, Bachchan is, like, Bachchan. I just don't, I, I'm very sorry to, to my South Asian listeners, um, but Bachchan um, is a, automatically a movie star. Like, he's one of those guys when you see him, where you're like, well, yeah, obviously you've been in 200 films as the <laughs> lead in all of them, like, obviously but also he is not like Maya Wolfsheim is in the book. There is a question about the portrayal of Semitism right, yeah. uh, within that. And so to choose to go a wholly other route, I think is really good mm. and just shows that as much as Baz Luhrmann specializes in making confection, it's not unthinking. Yeah, And that along with playing the game, like this film is as artificial as Barry Lyndon. And like that, like when horrible things happen, the world breaks. Mm. There's the bit um, where once Daisy has hit Isla Fisher with her car, um, the, they all get out to find out what's happening. And there's all these people crowded around and the camera isn't swishing. It's just creeping along with them. And there's all, it's by the big symbolic ash heap. And, and there's all these people standing around to look and they're kind of just drab normal people. And like they're all wearing the same color clothes. It's still a Baz Luhrmann film. Let's not go crazy. But the thing I noticed watching it this time is that against them, like um, uh, Edgerton and Debecky and their skin, their super tan, you know, golden teal yeah. movie, they, they look absurd. They begin to look like Oompa Loompas next to real people. And so like, this is a film that is also doing the thing of like the film breaks when reality creaks in the film breaks, And it is like when, when we get to, to, to Gatsby's funeral, which no one attends, like the house is done up beautifully, but it is not shot beautifully. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. uh, Yeah. And it is just, it's doing like, I would, I, I, the thing that would turn this film from shite from sound to shite for me would be if Baz Luhrmann applied the aesthetic he has at the beginning of the film all the way through to the end right he does yeah. not um and yeah that's why i think it's sound
0: what do you think i like this film a lot less than you do but i would yeah i i would i would still go sound yeah i, I think the, the- it's a product of
1: its time yeah and, and in a way that has not aged well purely because of how aesthetics have moved like I, I am calling it more intellectually sound. Yeah. Like, I was surprised by how much I liked it seeing it again, mm. but it, it's not like a new fave. Iron J is still his masterpiece. But yeah.
0: But yeah, parts of how it looks have an age great, but I think all of the aesthetic decisions are like at least smart. Yeah. Even if they don't super hold up. And I, I, think, I think DiCaprio is just like so captivating that, that this movie can't help but work.
1: Yeah. And look, here we are. Agreeing on the internet, and do you know what's better than two people on the internet agreeing that a film is good? Three people agreeing, but I don't know how to do that. How would you propose
0: that then? Uh, well, so what if I just, just for instance, yeah, uh, was to find a uh a, a let's say a, a five star review of the uh, of of the Great Gatsby on on Letterboxd, if if if, if you... such a thing is possible.
1: Son of a gun. Yes. Uh,
0: the, 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 this, is a, uh, this is a five-star review of The Great Gatsby by Letterbox user Demi Kudunas.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I could watch this movie hundreds of times and never grow tired of it. I've read the book well over a few times and I feel like this film captures the essence of decay and desperation and the overall feel that the book offers much better than the original movie. I love the way that the director uses Nick Carraway to narrate the story in an effort to most closely match the plot of the book, much of what Nick spoke coming directly from the pages of the text. The mysteries of Gatsby are portrayed so effortlessly well by DiCaprio. The visuals, soundtrack, and acting are absolutely incredible. This movie does such an amazing job at depicting the fucked up, twisted side to people, how, how one could have seemingly everything they, they could want in the world and still crave more. The story is incredibly jam-packed with human flaw and selfishness mind-bending and incredibly fucked up. This movie and the original story by Fitzgerald are one hell of a beautiful journey. So, okay, that's a bit
1: much. Yeah. But I, like, I'm happy that people have engaged with it like that.
0: But yeah. calm, uh, calm I, I, down. Uh, there's, like, a real habit that people on the internet have of describing any movie that isn't the most straightforward narrative told in the most straightforward way as, like, mind-bending. Yeah. Which, which, like, is not, is the it's it's it, it, it plays it pretty straight it's
1: just aggressively yeah it's so clear yeah you know like it, it's not yeah it just it's obvious like it's obvious you know what i mean
0: um so would you, would you like to guess uh, De- demi's uh, top four why not so uh w- w- one of them is uh the movie we were just talking about Oh because great Hatsby. Uh ding. That <laughs> was like is it is it more co- <laughs> is the trick
1: even deeper? No.
0: Uh the, the, the second one is uh, uh is is one of the Shakespeare adaptations you were talking about before?
1: Romeo and Juliet, nope. Richard
0: the Third. No. Nope. Hamlet? No.
1: Oh, Ten Things yeah. I had About You. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh That's like yeah. that's good. That Heath Ledger, I think he's really got a future. What's he up to these days? Just gonna Google <laughs> it. Yeah. Thin.
0: Yeah.
1: i oh, got some terrible news. Yeah. Someone broke the back of a mountain.
0: I just rewatched the Can't Take My Eyes Off You scene from, from 10 Things I Had About You. Yeah. Heath Ledger is so fucking charming in that scene. Yeah. It's so good. The third movie. Oh, it's about drugs. A Requiem for a Dream. Yes. And uh, the fourth movie is uh, the best movie ever to win Best Picture. Crash? No. Forrest Gump? <laughs> Uh, no, but, right, uh, oh, I was going to say right director. No, it's not right director. It has one of the stars of Rick Room for a Dream in it. The contentious best picture winner with one of the stars of... Dallas Buyers Club? No. Wrong star.
1: Oh, uh, okay. It's okay.
0: Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> okay, give me a different clue. It's about someone with, uh, a lovely brain. <laughs> <laughs> a, lo- <laughs> a lovely oh, brain.
2: ah, oh, ah. Oh, oh.
0: Brain dead. <laughs> yeah. A beautiful mind. Yes, it's a beautiful mind.
1: Jesus fuck, that's right. Love Russell Crowe in *Requiem for a Dream*. Nah, that's *Labyrinth*. Yeah, it's David Bowie from *Labyrinth*. <laughs> um, so where can people find you online, Phil? Uh,
0: who cares? You can find the show uh, on Twitter at ShitesoundPod, Pod*, or you can email us. At shitesoundpod at gmail.com. Check out our website. It's at
1: shiteandsound.com. And if you want to see what I'm up to, I'm on all your various social medias. as at youthalives. Sign up for my newsletter, the Dean's List, which is, uh, you can do that, at bits.ly slash youthalives.
0: Our theme song is The Nux. Like and Blam. Check them out on Bandcamp. What are we watching next week, Finn? So next week we're watching two classics of comedy and crime investigation. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're doing Buster Keaton's 1924, 45-minute-long silent comedy, Sherlock Jr. Yeah, and with that, uh, probably the funniest movie ever made about Sherlock Holmes, Holmes and Watson, starring Will Ferrell and uh, Jonathan C. Riley, directed by not Ethan Cohen.
1: <sighs> if you like the show, add. <laughs> It's, man, uh, uh, oh it's a, it's a heck of a film, <laughs> Holmes and Watson. It is uh, just to put to roam to put my boat out now, I feel it is like a genuine experience of mania, of disassociation watching that film.
0: It it's it's an insult to the idea of jokes.
1: It's an insult to the idea of like art. <laughs> uh, and like the idea that people involved were at some point competent. Um, which many of them are.
0: Yeah, it's a movie with uh, a lot of very funny people in it.
1: Yeah, and Steve Coogan. (laughs) (laughs) Movies are great. (laughs) Even Gatsby ones. Go Go watch watch them. (laughs) Like you need to have been there <laughs> to I want to be clear my parents listen to this I've not taken qua um, that, that's true uh well not through my mouth <laughs> yeah No, that's not funny